Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hello, I'm Adam Smith, and I'm delighted to be hosting this podcast today for the NIHR Dementia Researcher website. This week, I'm joined by Hannah Churchill from the Alzheimer's Society, Dr. Kia Young from University College London, and Dr. Tamara Backhouse from the University of East Anglia. And in today's podcast, we're going to discuss the recently held UK Dementia Care Research Summit, which was co-hosted by the Alzheimer's Society, the Economic and Social Research Council, which is often abbreviated to the SRC, and uh, ourselves at the National Institute of Health Research. Um, So before we get going, uh, first of all, I'm going to ask all of you to introduce yourselves. So perhaps first, if I could go to uh, Tamara, would you like to go first? Um, Yeah, I'm Tamara Backhouse. I'm a postdoctoral research fellow funded by the Alzheimer's Society, and I'm based at the University of East Anglia in Norwich. My research background, um, I've looked at dementia research in care homes, home care, family, and hospital settings. And my current research um, focuses on personal care interactions in dementia, the later stages so I'm hoping to improve fundamental care. Um, that's exactly why we've got you here because <laughs> your research is very much the focus of today. Um, Kia. Uh, thanks Adam. So my name's Keir. Uh, I actually started off working dementia research about 10 years ago in residential care settings evaluating uh, maintenance cognitive stimulation therapy uh, and since over the last nine years I've mainly worked at the Institute of Neurology at University College London where I've developed and evaluated assistive technology and environmental adaptations to promote everyday activities, so for example, reading, navigation or object finding, in people living with various degrees of dementia-related cortical visual impairment. By that, I mean difficulties with people perceiving what or where things are, with these arising not from any eye condition, but really from the diminished capacity of areas, particularly towards the back of the brain, and being able to see what or where things are. So these are difficulties with people's brain sight, not their eyesight. Cool. And I think I've seen some research. Is this where you can use eye tracking technology to see where, if you ask somebody to look for something, you see where they look in the room to perceive where that is yes that's one aspect of it so a lot of the methods that we use range from say traditional neuropsychological methods or performing cognitive assessments of different areas say of vision or spatial awareness Uh, but we also use some more uh, technological based approaches really to evaluate care interventions so for example using eye tracking measures so getting idea about where people are looking but also measures that really assess the quality of people's movement so for example being able to discriminate someone who's walking confidently across across a room versus someone, say, who's hesitating and walking in a more indirect path. Fantastic. I'm just, I'm I'm going to come to Hannah, but I'm, I'm keen to ask, what are the practical applications of that? So it's a really important question. So something that really sticks with me, again, going back to some of my original work in residential care settings, is that a real limiting factor, in my opinion, of um, certain dementia care uh, intervention studies is really the scalability of outcome measures. So, for example, if your main outcome is very much questionnaire-based, uh, speaking from experience of going through to a lot of staff who, again, are incredibly 
frankly, um, uh, overworked in a lot of cases, to ask them in addition to provide, say, two hours worth of information on some of the residents, I think isn't quite practical. Um, so there's been some talk about the potential application of technology-based measures as something where you can be continuously collecting information, say, in a community or residential care setting, but minimising the involvement, say, from um, staff, um, but also being able to preserve blinding, which I guess we might go on to, can be a bit of an issue with some dementia care interventions, so both single and double blinding. This, this is really interesting. I, I'm going to have to... <laughs> we'll stop there, but that I can see a whole separate podcast just talking about your work. So thank you very much much Keir and uh, Hannah. Hi there, um, I'm Hannah Churchill from the Alzheimer's Society. My role is a research communications officer there. Um, so I spend my time talking and writing about the research that we found as an organisation um, and also that's going on around around the world really. Um, so that's to make sure that we can share that with our audiences, so people affected by dementia, volunteers um, and the wider community as well. Um, and then uh, when it comes to the care summit, I was involved in the organisation of that and um, supported James Pickett with that. That's fantastic. And that in itself is quite a tough role because you, you're like the Alzheimer's Society is the trusted authority that people look to. And whatever the Alzheimer's Society say, people people accept. Right. So that's that's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. James did a fantastic job with this summit and really brought together the um, some key players. And it's really a testament to his work in the field, really, and um, in the way that we were able to do that. So it's great to be part of it. And we should say, uh, James was supposed to join us today, but unfortunately he's been ill. So I'm sure you'll join me in wishing James uh, a speedy recovery. And uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll have him on the podcast again very soon. So thank you very much, all three of you, for, for finding time to come and talk to us today and for you introducing yourselves. Um, I'm... I'm going to cheat here because I, I've copied and pasted a piece out of the programme because I thought it, it perfectly and really nicely set the scene for, for the summit, but also as well uh, for this conversation. So I'm going to quote this from the, from the programme. So care research goes beyond finding drug treatments that can slow down disease progression. It addresses the daily challenges of living with dementia across the whole pathway and finds solutions to help people manage better. Yet, only 12% of dementia research funding in Europe addresses health and social care challenges. The UK Dementia Research Summit celebrates successes in dementia care research to date and reviews the landscape today. We will consider how the research policy community can drive forward the vital area of research to change the lives of the 850,000 people living with dementia in the UK and their loved ones. Um, so, of course, that's slightly appropriate if you're reading it at the start of the summit. But I, I think that perfectly kind of sets out where, where care research is right now. Um, so my first question, I'm going to come to you, actually, Hannah, and say... Finding a cure, understandably, is the focus of dementia research. But but how and why should we make sure that care research stays on the agenda? Yeah, I mean, of course, we are all aware that finding a disease-modifying treatment is a, is a huge priority for the field, and absolutely as it should be. Um, but alongside that, we also need to consider the needs of people living with dementia today. So we have 850,000-plus people in the UK today living with a condition, their, their families, their carers. Um, and it is possible that we might find a new treatment for the condition in the coming years, um, but that's quite likely to be specific to a type of dementia at a specific phase, and that leaves us with thousands of people who 
will continue to live with dementia and to develop it. So we have a, a duty to look after those people as well, really, as, as a community. And there's the appetite and the passion to do that in the community. So at the summit, we celebrated some of the great learnings and the impacts that we've already seen in care research. And we really want to continue to support that work in the field and, and ensure it's implemented. I think I'm sure that's something we're just going to come up later on, the challenges around implementation. Um, and great, great progress has been made, but there's a huge amount more to do. Um, and, you know, in December, the government came out and pledged to double dementia research funding. Um, which was brilliant, but we need to really see a commitment to that, not only supporting biomedical research and, and um, continued funding for the UK DRI as well as other institutes, but we also need to make sure that health and social care research isn't bypassed and um, it's really factored into that pri- as a priority for the government as well, and not just the, the government, but also other research funders as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really about supporting the people who are going to be living with dementia in the coming years and are living with it today. So the timing of the summit's Perfect, really. I, I'm really interested to know the timeline on this. Was the summit arranged before we knew the results of the election or, or very quickly yeah, afterwards? No, it was before. Um, the election was the 12th of December, wasn't it? It was. So, so yeah, we had it in the, the pipeline before then. Bef- so it's panned out quite well in terms of timing. Before the manifesto commitment? I believe so, yes. I mean, maybe I'm just being optimistic, but yeah, I think so. So It was uh, a whirlwind, but... <laughs> the timing is perfect, because what I guess this gives you now is is taking the outputs of this allows you to, to feed this in, and I suppose Alzheimer's Association, we know uh, Association, Alzheimer's Society, lobbies government, and, yeah, and you'll be making a case for, for more funding for care and social care research. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Uh, so earlier this week... I caught up with six of the leads that chaired each of the sessions. Those are Professor Martin Rosser. There's a lot of professors here. Professor Martin Rosser, Professor David Sharp, Professor Dame Louise Robinson, uh, Professor Jill Manthorpe, Professor Claire Goodman, and Professor Alistair Burns. I um, put two questions to each of them. And so before we move on, let's just hear from them. The first question I put to them was this... In 30 seconds, tell us what research programme or initiative you feel has had the greatest impact on care of people with dementia to date. I'm Louise Robinson. I'm an academic GP and Professor of Primary Care and Ageing at Newcastle University. I think for me, coming from a primary and community care background, it probably started with the NIHR Dendron Initiative, a Dementia and Neurodegenerative Diseases Research Network, where people from all around the country were encouraged to come together and work together and that was funded by the NIHR and they actually set up a primary clinical studies group which had on not just GPs but social workers and secondary care specialists, uh, nurses and that provided a real critical mass of researchers who were interested in, in doing research on primary and community care uh, and enabled us to get lots of big grants together. Uh, Alistair Burns, I'm the National Clinical Director for Dementia and Older People's Mental Health at NHS England and NHS Improvement. It's always very difficult to, to choose one in a particular, uh, but I think there are a couple to do with improving the care for, for the carers of people with dementia, things like the Jill Livingston Start Programme, that really were very important at emphasising the exact model of post-diagnostic support uh, that can benefit people with dementia and their families best of all. 
I'm Jill Manthorpe from King's College London and I work in a policy research unit on health and social care workforce but I'm also involved in the NIHR Clark South London and the NIHR School for Social Care Research. To me, the study that I remember very well is one that I would characterise as being very creative, very interesting and very insightful. And it was Julia Twigg's study funded by the ESRC about clothing and dementia. We all see people with dementia and yet we often forget to look at what they're wearing, who makes the choices, what's, who would wash something, how would it be stored and so on. So to me, thinking about clothing and dementia just was great. It was basic practical, creative and inspiring. Hi, my name's Dave Sharp. I'm the um, uh, the lead of the Care Research and Technology Centre within the UK Dementia Research Institute. It's been really pleasing over the last few years to um, see such a, a mushrooming and a kind of extension of the of the care research focused on um, informing uh, the benefits to people living with dementia. Um, I'm particularly interested in those um, those interventions that might scale and affect very large numbers of people. So one of the things that I've been really interested to see develop is the uh, Dementia Friends. Um, um, uh, program, um, obviously driven from the Alzheimer's Society, but you know, going from a standing start to three million people trained as dementia friends and the potential impact of that, institutions, shops, people on the street, you know, that's something that I've been really impressed by and uh, I'm excited to see. Hi, I'm Claire Goodman. I'm Professor of Healthcare Research from the University of Hertfordshire. I think the research, the building of research in care homes in the last 10 years has had the most impact for people living and dying with dementia. Um, what was previously an overlooked Cinderella area has benefited hugely from increase in research. I'm Martin Rosso, I'm a clinical neurologist based in London and I'm the NIHR Director for Dementia Research. Well, looking back over quite a long time, I think the biggest initiative has been around the concept of person-centred care, but perhaps in the broader sense that it's not only understanding what an individual wants, their understanding of their disease, etc., but the understanding that we have that dementia is not a single disease, many, many different diseases and many different presentations. So the care of somebody with a behavioural frontotemporal dementia the care of somebody who's hallucinating with dementia with Lewy bodies, the care of somebody with a posterior cortical atrophy and visual spatial problems are all very different from somebody with a memory problem. I feel like that was probably a little bit of an exam question for them. I know when I spoke to all of them, they were kind of scratching their heads and going, you know, some of them were thinking, oh no, what, what should I single out as being the thing that, that, <laughs> that that's had you know the most impact? Because it as much as there's far more to just a lot to do i do feel like we've had a fantastic kind of last seven eight years particularly for care research where it has come up the come up the agenda so tamara at the summit we heard from a number of people sharing information about their work what particular presentation stood out for you Oh, this is a really hard question because there were so many fantastic presentations um, during the day. Um, I suppose uh, I will go for Martin Knapp's presentation, I think, just because I thought it was really interesting, the things that he highlighted around um, the social care is more important than health care for, for dementia care, probably. And, um, and then that he really highlighted... Um, 
that we should continue to get more investment in the social care research, which is something close to my heart being a, um, my background is as a care worker in care homes. So feel very strongly about the social um, care research. And also, it's really interesting about the excess treatment costs in research for social care, um, because it really does make things difficult to implement. Um, and sometimes the implementation and the treatment there takes up a lot of the funding. So, so if we could get recognition of that and more funders funding those, it'd be really, really important, I think. And also, obviously, as an early career researcher myself, he highlighted that we need to invest in the research community um, with that capacity building and keeping early career researchers engaged in the field. So I felt that he highlighted some really important things um, within the dementia care field. Um, and it was good to have those expressed quite early on in the day. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I really like Martin Knapp a lot. He's he's got a really good presentation style, and and we should say he's the is he one of the direct? I mean, if I don't know if he's the lead or a director at the NIHR School for Social Care Research as well, which is obviously based um, out of the LSE. And we've also recorded a podcast which will come out in a few weeks' time, where about the cognitive footprint work that he's involved in as as well. Uh, Kia, can I put that same question to you? So I'd echo Tamara's point about, again, there being no shortage of amazing talks to really choose from. So I had I was I wasn't in there in person. So I was just watching this over my computer. I was planning on doing some work on the side and I found it impossible to actually focus on work because I found a lot of the talks, frankly, to be very gripping. So we're talking about social care. I thought Jill Manthorpe's talk was really great. Uh, I'm a bit biased personally because I've used Enrich, so enabling research in care homes, both to conduct discussion groups and also just try and actually have some communication with people still working in care home settings, even though I'm based really at uh, an institute that's tied to like a tertiary um, hospital. Um, but I think one thing that stood out for me was seeing Jill Livingston's overview of the strategies for relative studies, so the START study, because not only did she cover, again, the original RCT, uh, but she also covered a six-year follow-up, so some of the headline results being um, that depressive symptoms in the START um, arm uh, were 20% that relative to the treatment-as-usual arm. Um, and also there was evidence of uh, the cost effectiveness of START. Um, and in addition, uh, what I thought was quite uh, compelling was really uh, how scalable START is the intervention because the people delivering it, as I understand it, are graduate psychologists. While they're trained and supervised, they don't need to be clinically trained, at least formally. I, and I have to say, I loved that part of that. It's it's really rare. You, I'm talking to, to academics here where you get given real life implementation, actual costs, what it costs to do this per patient in a in a real way that I think, particularly if you're at the front line of uh, social or even NHS care management, getting those figures actually make a real difference. I think it's it's that that can make you realise that something is achievable. Otherwise, it's it could cost a million pounds or it could cost a thousand pounds. You don't know. It, it's, but being able to say, right, this intervention is going to cost £175, you can suddenly, you're sat there working out what it would cost you to do that for all your patients. And I, I loved that part of the talk. I think we should do that more, definitely. Especially given how you can have some people making grandiose claims but then actually for how much you're paying 
how much can you really quantify the benefit and the consistency of that benefit? Absolutely. And I understand, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think I understand that that's hard because, of course, delivering an intervention under trial circumstances is slightly different to delivering this as a as a normal business-as-usual part of care. But um, I, I, think I, I think that's a great way forward and more people should do it. Highlighted the follow-up, um, and that's why that's so important. Six years later is a long time, so it really does stand out as, yeah, absolutely. as important. And I, I mean, I'm a little bit biased, but as I had a hand in creating quite a few of the things that were highlighted by by Martin Rosser and John O'Brien and, and Alistair Burns, um, so it. One of my babies has been the NIHR Enabling Research and Care Homes, the Enrich Project. That was the very first job I was given when I started at the NIHR nearly 10 years ago at UCL was was asked to to try and address some of the problems with care home residents underrepresentation in in research and that also came at a time when care homes had been really in the hitting the headlines for all the wrong reasons about how care was provided so one of my first jobs working with Steve Eiliff and Claire Goodman and Jill Manthorpe and and um, Myrna Downs was was to kind of work on creating Enrich to to be this toolkit to provide support, but also then a practical network to help find care homes to do things. Because at that time, just finding care homes to actually participate in studies was massively challenging. Um, so I'm I'm rather biased, but I was quite pleased that that got picked out, and obviously other things as well, um, like joint dementia research. Uh, my office created too and I was quite pleased to see the the um, highlighting how many early career researchers have come to dementia care research which has been massive right I mean it's not just me thinking this I can't think of a university anywhere in the country that hasn't got somebody even if they're in some dark obscure corner somewhere beavering away all by themselves working on dementia care or activities to provide better care Uh, do you find that I mean, are you being asked to fund more of this kind of work, Hannah? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have a, um, we always have a very solid collection of care applications, care and implementation applications that come into us, um, and they, that must be equal to or nearly equal to the biomed ones, absolutely. Um, and I don't know if that's partly because I think Alzheimer's Society is somewhere, is somewhere where care researchers tend to come to, which is something we'd absolutely encourage, um, or whether that's a demonstration of the field. Um, it's difficult to know. But, um, yeah, that's definitely our experience. It is wonderful to see so many coming forward. Yeah. OK, Hannah, I'm going to put my next question to you, really. So what new initiatives or studies discussed at the summit really stood out for you? And there, there were quite a few, weren't there? Yeah, I mean, there were yeah far too many to talk about really and I think you know it's um it was really a privilege to be able to bring all those people together to talk about them um and uh there's you know things like the Dementia Platform UK, ARCS, the UK DRI Care and Tech Centre which has been fantastic and something we've been really passionate about supporting um but it was also I wanted to talk a little bit about the new perspectives that we brought into the conversation from um the US and also from um Ian Lewis's presentation um his um, talk particularly I was looking at the online conversation a lot of the time and we had um, some really good interaction on on that discussion and I think there was, there was the same was sort of felt in the room that there were a lot of people um, really interested in his talk and um, what I felt was really interesting was really talking about the nitty-gritty of how we bring together multidisciplinary groups um, 
and you know in the way they've done this in cancer in different themes in, in different types of cancers and breaking them down in that way and the real focus on collab- collaboration through that model was really interesting and I think um, there's a lot we could learn there um, in dementia research. Uh, yeah I would really agree with that I quite <clears throat> like neat organised things in their places and boxes I'm, I'm kind of one of those people that likes things well organized and I think the way cancer were theming things and grouping things um, worked fine yeah. and you can absolutely see how that could be translated to our area absolutely. where without that kind of organization or that theming and grouping it, it just ends up being a little bit mm. a little bit sporadic I don't know yeah, and the ability to monitor that and to evaluate it and to go is just brilliant and the way they've been able to do that is fantastic and, and I kind of, you can tell me, because you're more expert on this, because I, I thought also as well that's an opportunity to reduce duplication. I, I, I kind of, but but in research, duplication is a good thing. I mean, right? Mm, so, I mean, you yeah. want to test things and contrast and compare, but also you don't want two studies going on at different ends of the country, funded by two different uh, funders, doing exactly the same thing. Um, potentially churning out the same results as well, right? It allows for a coordinated approach, doesn't it? Which is, you know, something which would be great. So we could really target those areas of need and, and as a as a sort of community, fo- focus on the the areas where we're lacking within dementia care research. Yeah, it certainly makes it easier to identify the gaps. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd... I think I'd also misunderstood because I thought that's kind of what the Dementia Research Institute were doing. And then having saw their presentation, I'd absolutely missed the point of their work, which um, so so that was my my misunderstanding. So I can see now where that comes. I think the real challenge, I don't know, you tell me, Hannah, the real challenge is, is Okay, that's a good idea. But who take who's responsible then for taking a lead and making that? Absolutely. I think that's, you know, that's something that um, Alzheimer's Society, the ESRC and the NIHR need to hash out. And it's, you know, if that's really the model we're looking at, and if we think that's something that could work, then um, then that's a discussion to be had there, definitely. And, you know, that's going to take some time. But um, and there's more discussions to be had around how appropriate the model is and other opportunities and infrastructure we already have and utilising that. Um, And I think there was some discussions online as well about, you know, what's already out there and how can we use that and build on that rather than reinventing the wheel. So there's a lot of discussions to be had yeah and there's the sim i mean the similarities go further in so much don't they you're breaking down the different types of cancer mm-hmm. and we're talking about rather than just thinking of dementia as a single disease as well which of course we know it isn't were you going to make a point yeah it was interesting that within cancer research as well cancer care research had less funding so there's sort of a a similarity there around Mm. the the track history of dementia research where care is up and coming now perhaps and and getting a bit more Mm. of a a place in the field of of all over dementia care but it was sort of a similarity I felt greedy bench scientists Mm. (laughs) (laughs) actually well let me um let me come back to to you Keir um so as a researcher working in the field of dementia care, um, how do you think we can maximise changes to care? So we've already heard some interesting points on uh, really data sharing initiatives, which I think were, uh, in a sense, covered within the summit with people like Sebastian Crutch's talk on. So, for example, a study that I was involved in was an ESRC and NHR 
program called Seeing What They See, where we uploaded actually a lot of our movement sensor data, as well as cognitive data, as well as themes from semi-structured interviews, all onto the data sharing portal. And I think Seb made the point that we've gone through all this effort and actually there'd been two downloads so far. So a question of perhaps our responsibility isn't even just making that data available, but how we're really banging the drum for signposting people to um, those data. A point I made on the chat which I think was quite a nice feature of the summit, uh, but this was quite potentially a um, a sensitive point, is that I'm a bit concerned about sharing information to do with patient and caregiver engagement. Well, I've been to some events where, of course, this is something that outside society and the NHS has been instrumental in making sure you're demonstrating careful patient and caregiver involvement at the earliest stage of the conception of a research project. But I get a bit concerned that sometimes you've got patients repeatedly attending multiple events and then being asked the same questions because perhaps people aren't really making, you know, the findings of those group discussions really available. And of course, there's tricky things to do about anonymity and also actually the funders really want to prioritize researchers spending their time making say those transcripts available but i think there's potentially uh, an ongoing question about what's the best way to kind of have again a kind of coordinated approach um in terms of how i think dementia care research can change if that was the original question um i think some things that offer promise are, as mentioned, uh, some of the proposals that the Dementia Research Institute Care and Technology Group are mentioning, where um, hopefully they should provide, again, scalable, ideally valid measures, although someone's actually going to have to determine a ground truth to validate some of these um, technology-based measures to really build capacity for care research in settings that are often considered quite challenging for conducting high-quality quantitative research. So we're talking about in people's home environments and day centres and uh, care homes. Thank you. I think that's a. this is a good point, actually, to, to go back to my pre-recordings uh, to listen to our six leads and to hear the answers to the second question I put to them, which is, looking forward, how do you think the dementia care research community can drive meaningful change for people with dementia in the coming years? Uh, Alistair Burns, I'm the National Clinical Director for Dementia and Older People's Mental Health at NHS England and NHS Improvement. I think there's a number of things that the dementia care research community can do. I think today we're seeing a fantastic overview of the huge amount of enthusiasm and research that's going on. I think speaking together and focusing is the key. Hi, I'm Claire Goodman. I'm Professor of Healthcare Research from the University of Hertfordshire. Well, I think one of the ways that the dementia care research community can achieve change is by making sure that we work together to share research data, and particularly for people in care homes who will who are the most vulnerable group who have the most needs is understanding how we can link our studies with routinely collected health and social care data to be able to show what is effective and what makes a difference. And I think that's where the best um, successes can occur in the future. My name is Dave Sharp. I'm the um, uh, the lead of the Care Research and Technology Centre within the UK Dementia Research Institute. 
So as, as the lead for the, the Care Research Technology Centre, we're really focused on the use of new technology. Um, and I really think that there's a massive opportunity to harness technological developments ac across a range of areas that are relevant, relevant to dementia research. There's, there's a kind of explosion of potential technological solutions to things. And what I think we need to do is to bring some clarity to that by doing some solid evaluation to provide really an evidence-based platform that people can choose from different technologies. Um, and then we can use to support people to live for as long as possible at home. I'm Louise Robinson, I'm an academic GP and Professor of Primary Care and Ageing at Newcastle University. I think the key thing is it's not so much about doing the research, but it's about looking at how we can implement those key findings in practice. One of the difficulties I've had as a researcher over the last 20 years is that there's money provided to do the research, but they're not to enable us to test it out or implement it in practice. And I think there really needs to be a shift towards looking at innovation and implementation uh, funding, not just research funding. I'm Martin Rosso, I'm a clinical neurologist based in London, and I'm the NIHR Director for Dementia Research. I think we need to know how to implement. There's a lot that we know that does seem to work, and we need to understand how best to implement it. And that's in part a research question. But although I say there's much that we know is good and needs implementing, there's still an awful lot out there that hasn't been assessed. So I think we need some smart new methodologies for rapid assessment of whether something does or does not work. I'm Jill Manthorpe from King's College London and I work in a policy research unit on health and social care workforce but I'm also involved in the NIHR Clark South London and the NIHR School for Social Care Research. I think that implementation is going to be the subject of the next decade. I think of it both as an art but also as a science and it's got to lead some, to some real developments and deliver. We've had too many now studies that have said they're promising and that have got potential and probably we need to do the actual fixing and that's fixing around systems uh, which means making sure that support for people living with dementia and their carers is sufficient but it's also thinking about... Um, um, sharing care and making sure that it's sustainable. So it's a bit trite sometimes to use um, things that begin with the same letter, but to me it's about sustainability, sufficiency and sharing. And if we can crack that as a research community, then we're probably going to make some real advances to the lives of people living with dementia now, but also in the future. OK, I, I, that was really interesting to hear what they, they had to say, and I think... I wonder whether they'd have changed their minds because I did ask them these questions before the summit and I'd be really interested to go back to them and put the question again and see if they'd been influenced through through the talks that happened across the day because I think I would have, I don't think I would have necessarily had the same insights going in as I had coming coming out. My next question, I think actually you've both, I was going to put particularly to you, Keir and, and Tamara, and I think actually you kind of, almost answered this just before we we heard from the leads but maybe I could come to to you particularly Tamara what how would you have answered that same question 
Okay, so I think um, Dawn Brooker and actually Claire Goodman's presentations brought up something here, and it was more about working with the end users, Dawn said, meaning the staff members and the and the carers. So we have patient and public involvement, and that is um, gaining traction, and hopefully we're all um, aware of that and at least you know using it in our research and developing research. Um, but also sometimes we miss the, the staff members who are actually delivering the interventions or we're trying to get information from for our research or who are facilitating our research so so I think working with those end users um, and and when Claire mentioned that we need for implementation we we need to be care aware and the context aware and I think part of that is working with those those staff members um, sort of in care homes perhaps home care workers even family carers working with the people who will be implementing our research or, or doing the things that can help their care. I could just jump in as well. So I think you hit on that key point where it's again about implementation and dissemination, which was again a theme that was raised repeatedly throughout the summit. You know, in the most extreme, unfortunate case, you're going to, you could have researchers who are like, oh, I published this in a journal that no one's going to have access to in a way that isn't well communicated for particular audiences. Um, so I think there's got to be focused, like King's is doing a lot of great work in terms of both the Margaret Butterworth Care Home Forum and the Home Care Forum as well, in making sure there's that communication between people who actually might be, you know, that some of those research findings might actually be quite relevant to perhaps changing practice. I wrote a blog about the summit, which will have been published by the time the podcast is out. And I was thinking about this myself is where responsibility for implementation lies. I can't remember who made the point, but somebody said we're really good at dissemination and not very good at implementation. And I was trying to think where implementation really sits. So researcher publishes paper and what do they magically the NHS will pick this up and go, oh, that's worthwhile and we'll we'll go away and make that happen. And that just doesn't work like that in the NHS. Um, so implementation has to sit somewhere. And I don't think at the moment there's any single body or organisation that's responsible for that. And I can't help but feel that there's a bit of a gap there is to take more ownership. And I don't think it should be the researchers. I think researchers seem to, in the absence of somebody to lead implementation, researchers are going, oh, well, we'll implement this then. But that's not their skill set. And it's kind of not for researchers learn what needs to be done and then need to hand that off. They shouldn't then suddenly go off and try to implement it as well. I think Dawn Brooker is the exception to the rule on that. Dawn is fantastic mm -hmm. about doing things and then making them happen. But um, I, I don't know, am I... What do you think? <laughs> no, I absolutely agree. There's there's this sort of there is a disconnect. And you're right, we talked about things like start being able to provide us with evidence on cost effectiveness and like coming up with all this fantastic data which um which you know, which we need and with when it comes to influencing and policy changes, without data like that, it's just simply not a practical, you know, it, it just won't happen. So I think um organizations like Outside Society definitely have a part to play there. We have um, we have a team which look after policy and influencing and we have a team that fund research and um, lots of different elements of that within there. And um, we also have a, um, a small group of people um, who are a research translation team and they work closely with researchers and with our policy team to really try and to try and make sure that we are using the research that is published and in applying it to real life or at least making it making policymakers and um, people who have the ability to make changes to, to policy and to care uh, 
uh, aware of those findings and that includes people in our own services who provide um, provide care so um, yeah we definitely have we're in a strong position in that we have those different bases covered it's you know even with those relationships it's still a huge challenge and we're definitely still working out how that how to make that effective move from research into policy it's a real challenge I agree we're kind of running a little bit short on time now so what did you think of the summit as a whole did you have any particular highlights Tamara Okay, for me, I was there in the room, so it was great to see all of the sort of key players in the field and learn from their experiences and sort of feel the energy in the room. And obviously, there was a lot of networking opportunities for myself to meet people or um, consolidate previous meetings. Um, so that was really a nice thing personally. But for me, it was about gaining this overview of the field, sort of where we've come, where we are, and what our priorities are. So, so I found that really really nice to sort of feel ah I know I know I now have this overview which I I've sort of half had before but it it really gave me that that view and also I was really um, pleased that home care was highlighted as as um as a an area I suspect that will come up in 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 my last question Uh, (laughs) I I suspect I I completely agree I mean Mm. there isn't anybody I know working in care and I you know with working on Enrich for so many years I kind of know a lot I know everybody in that kind of space and there wasn't anybody in the room that anybody not in the room that I think should have been I think the only bit that I didn't get was I think the the NHS piece there wasn't a great deal talking perhaps about kind of uh, dementia care inside a hospital when somebody kind of goes in for other for other reasons or the kind of care pathway across memory clinics which we know it would have been quite hard to talk to though because that's quite varied across the NHS I think it's fair to say so they were the slight gaps that isn't to say there isn't things going on in that space but I, I guess it wasn't the it wasn't a particular focus yeah, yeah. I think on further reflection, it might have been nice that in the first session, I think there was some of the lived experience of dementia who again was presenting, but there could have been maybe slightly more room for that, um, possibly contradicting what I've just said about not trying to duplicate uh, these events. But also I was maybe expecting there to be maybe more stuff on the policy side. So maybe someone from like the King's Fund, say. Yeah. Um, but... Um, it's a one day thing. I think the the challenge for me, I'm we're looking to Hannah. I think it, and I think still no. I think James did a fantastic job in organising this, trying to do so much in in this six hour window that the summit was held over was quite tricky. You could quite easily see how a summit like this could easily be a two or even three day thing going forward with a whole day just on care homes and a whole day on on nhs care and on the diagnosis pathways where where of course and even before that because care's usually even begun before the the pathway um so kia what did you have any overall highlights for you so as uh, Tamara said, it was really encouraging seeing these, frankly, titans in the field all in the same place. Um, and, you know, you can't understate the challenges that we're facing in terms of dementia care, but just seeing, again, some of the steps that have been taken and the diversity of areas of care research has always really encouraging. And hearing people get shout-outs like Bob Wood, um, also Linda Clare, um, 
I thought that um, so things like the chat function I thought was very good for stimulating discussion as well. Well, of course, I mean, what we had was the roundtable discussions as well. Obviously, that was, I suppose, the equivalent was going on on that online chat. All right. So, Hannah, I'm going to come to you with the kind of final question now. So, so the big question, if you like. So can you give us an overview of what was taken away as to the, the main, what did you see as the main steps next and what, what unfolded as those key points? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to say and there's still a lot to be talked through and um, sort of summarised and brought together. And I think we've talked already about um, bringing together Alzheimer's Society, the ESRC and the NIHR, the funders of the event, um, to really um, knuckle down and um, decide how we're going to take this forward. Um, I think, you know, there's a few there's a few different things to talk about here. Um, first of all, we need to be able to join up all this brilliant work that's been going on already. We've already acknowledged in this podcast the extent and the breadth and diversity of this work and um, ensuring that we aren't working in silos. And like I I mentioned earlier, that we can learn a huge amount from the cancer research field in doing that. So, um, and thinking about the infrastructure required to do it. So that's going to be, you know, thinking about the infrastructure and the collaboration is going to be a huge challenge. Data, um, clearly we acknowledge during the event that this is a hugely important issue and um, something that we're perhaps not doing as effectively as we should be and we should be banging the drum and making um, you know, people aware of this as a, as a possibility and working with DPUK to do that. So that's something to definitely think about. And, and Tamara um, mentioned about building capacity. I think you know, that's been a focus for Alzheimer's Society for a long time, supporting early career researchers, but um, you know, where's, the ne- where's the next generation coming from? How can we increase that capacity further? And we how can we ensure that we don't lose researchers um, once they've completed their PhD and their fellowship and like keep them in the field and keep the passion there so there's a huge number of different outcomes to consider here and I think um, we've got a lot of work to do um, with the NIHR and the ESRC to do that um, and to bring all those conversations together um, and you know and I think this really boils down to a lot of influencing work as well from us as an organisation and more broadly um, around the, you know, the pledge by the government to increase um, dementia research funding um, in in their manifesto. And we need to ensure, first of all, that this commitment is, is upheld and um, that, you know, and as we mentioned all the way through this, that the importance of care research is recognised and that there is uh, funding carved out for health and social care research. I would completely agree with all that. I think I think money would be I think it would be money not ambition that will be the limiting yeah. factor on this agenda isn't it Absolutely. and I think pushing to you know to get that that manifesto commitment realized and then in the hands of people who can put it mm. to use is is essential the the one slight last point you picked up on there was about early career researchers can I just come to I don't you're not early career researchers right but are you would you class yourself as early career you're up well, my fellowship is a junior fellowship. Oh, so you are still a junior fellowship. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I thought you were both on senior fellowships. Sorry, we're both <laughs> junior fellows, but okay. po- postdoc, and you know. So, how yeah. do we attract more early career researchers to care? Okay. Um, well, I think I agree <laughs> um, with what Hannah just said. Um, that we need to not lose those we have in the first place. I mean, there's yeah. a sort of you come to the end of contracts and then uh, limbo. So a lot of people lo- come out of academia or go to lecturing and then lose that m- 
sort of um, predominantly research focus. They're then thinking maybe of students and, and only small research on the side. So that's um, something looking at the structures there maybe and different structures through the career progression. But I think also... You know, growing the field and demonstrating implementation and real world change will do that a little bit because it will draw people in. Think, ah, oh, this is you know, you can make real change on the ground to people's lives. So I think, um, you know, getting that out there, the, the good things that we are doing. So, so our focus on implementation going forward would be good. And and the things that that are happening here with you know the early career network and having that support. So when you are doing dementia care research as an early career you feel part of something and you and you start to understand the field as a whole and and be involved in that and it's more likely to keep people coming in and keep people staying i completely yeah i I completely agree with everything you said there i think getting more early career researchers to talk about their work Mm -hmm. encouraging people to be open to talk about their work will attract people and it absolutely if you can see some direct line of sight between between your work and some real life outcomes and, and improvements in care that's so inspiring i think to others to want to work in the same did did you have anything to add to that kid so i can think of really two things with one being i think in line with the nihr's strategy for allied health professionals to try and figure out how to really give people a more protected time to become research leaders who've got either clinical or patient facing background um, and I, I guess there's a number of ways this could be achieved. Um, so people, a certain proportion of their role, that they've got protected time to engage with the existing evidence base or contribute um, to a uh, new evidence base. Uh, I think there's another one which is to do with multidisciplinary researchers where, again, it's all well and good talking about interdisciplinary research, but it's not a magic word that's going to make dementia care automatically better. I think there has to be a way to accelerate people who, say, might have a background in engineering or computer science, having a pretty concrete idea about some of the challenges that are faced day to day. So, again, and I'm speaking as someone who is in my own ivory tower where, again, largely the work I do is really uh, attached to a hospital setting, but it's trying to avoid this risk, uh, as Hannah talked about, of silos or really this kind of ivory tower phenomenon which was also talked about at the summit. I agree. So we're also going to try and do some work this year with uh, undergraduates particularly, who um, we're hoping to encourage. They were always a, a kind of audience that we hoped to to interact with through the podcast and through the website. So we're hoping to do more with undergrads as well to encourage them to consider dementia rather than other diseases. This is a competition, right? <laughs> All right, thank you very much, uh, Hannah, Tamara and Kia. Um, the summit was recorded and has uh, shared as a live stream on the day and I believe each of the segments of that are now available for you to watch back on YouTube. So uh, anybody who's listened to this podcast who hasn't seen this yet, I suggest you go away, have a look on YouTube on the Alzheimer's Society's uh, YouTube channel to find and watch through those. Um, they, they, they're really interesting, I think, particularly if you're listening outside the UK. I don't think there's anything there that, that you wouldn't relate to from uh, care in your own country as well. Um, so details on how to access that will also be in with this website. As I mentioned a couple of times, uh, plugs for my own blog. I wrote a blog as well of my own thoughts and what I thought the takeaways were. And if any of our listeners have anything to add on this topic, please do post your comments on our website. Drop us a line on Twitter using the hashtag ECRDementia. 
Um, the hashtag from the event was hashtag dementia care 2020. So, um, of course, you can go away and search on that on Twitter to find the discussion that was going on through the event a couple of weeks ago as well. Um, on our website, you'll also find a transcript to this podcast. So if any of your colleagues are, uh, or friends are unable to listen, please do point them in the direction of the website where they can read through the text from today. We also have a WhatsApp community group where we host fortnightly themed discussions to talk about the topics from the podcast. And details on how to join that can be found on our Twitter feed and on the Ask an Expert part of our website. And so we hope you'll join us on um in a week's time on the Monday in the 8.30 GMT in the evening on our WhatsApp group to talk about the themes from today. Uh, finally, please remember to like, subscribe, leave a review of our podcast through the website, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean. Honestly, just anywhere where you get your podcast, you'll find it. I think even Alexa, if you say Alexa, play our podcast, you will do that too. Um, so thank you very much and do tell your friends and colleagues thank you again everybody for joining us and uh, we hope to get you back in the studio again to talk about your own research next time thank you it's brought to you by dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society supporting early career dementia researchers across the world